On this week's episode of Ride the Lightning, the Tesla unofficial podcast, Tesla holds its quarterly earnings call for the record Q3 it just completed. I've got all of the highlights from the Tesla executive team, as well as a recap and analysis of the big news and highlights. Plus, deliveries of the new Model X have begun, some incredibly sad news to report in the original Roadster community, and more. What's happening, friends? I'm Ryan McCaffrey alongside Daisy the Boxer and a house guest. We are dog-sitting for my sister-in-law's dog, Rue, R-O-U-X, and they are having a ball together. Right now, they're calm and chill, lying on either side of me as I record. We'll see if they start romping around at any point during the podcast, but I've had a really nice, fun week this week. I got to do a business trip, just my second one since, uh, well, since the whole pandemic started. Sure felt good to be out in the world again as a professional, actually meeting people face to face and going into to a game development studio to uh, to see a big new video game in action. So that was fun for me, but it was also a fun week in Tesla news. Unfortunately, uh, that's going to have to wait because we have to start with something. I mean, there's just no there's no good way to to talk about this. It's just an unfortunate, extremely sad story that I certainly do feel compelled to report. There was a fire this past week at Gruber Motors in Phoenix. Now, if you're not familiar with Gruber Motors, they are a an independent service center that has taken to servicing Tesla Roadsters, the original cars. And they're even doing some early Model S's as well, uh, the early now out-of-warranty Model S's. Uh, there was a fire there, and it destroyed 30 original Tesla Roadsters. As you can imagine... There are not many places that you can take a Tesla Roadster. Uh, you, of course, could take it to Tesla, but not everybody has a service center nearby. Uh, and it's, you know, there are plenty of good reasons why, you know, you want to find a dedicated person to service the car. Gruber was one of really two, with the other being, there's another shop up in Seattle as well. Uh, Gruber suffering this fire this past week and again, destroying 30 original roadsters. I want to say thank you to listener Andrew Evans for sending in this news as awful as it is to hear. Andrew writes, the entire Gruber team has been such a blessing to the growing community of owners of older Teslas who increasingly rely on their services for working on post-warranty cars, especially roadsters and early Model S vehicles like mine. Every time I have worked with them, I have thought about how thankful I am to have their talented team as a resource here in the Phoenix Valley. They are passionate about what they do and are true advocates of helping Tesla succeed in their mission of converting the world to sustainable energy vehicles. This fire is going to be a setback for them, but I certainly hope they are able to recover and get back to work on their mission quickly. For those of you who have worked with the Gruber family, especially to other Tesla owners here in Arizona, I wanted to share this news in hopes that you might reach out to Pete and the Gruber family to voice your support and wish them a speedy recovery. Gruber Motors has been a model of the service center of the future, and we need their passion and energy as much as ever now that EVs are finally ready to begin selling in huge numbers. Best wishes for a speedy recovery, Gruber team. Tell us how we can help you. Andrew, that is extraordinarily well said. Now, Pete Gruber himself, the shop owner, 
took to posting on social media and said, early analysis by the first fire inspectors isolated the cause to an electrical panel panel failure, which of course will be investigated more thoroughly, end quote. So I will certainly follow this story and pass along any significant updates regarding the cause and more importantly for the shop's recovery as well. So a, a terrible loss for the Tesla community at large. Obviously the roadsters are not plentiful. To put that in perspective, that fire itself, one fire took out 1% of every of all Tesla roadsters ever made. There are only 2,500 made, so technically a little over uh, 1%. So just a, a tragic story. Now, the good news is nobody was injured. I mean, that's that's the number one. I don't want to I don't want to make it think, oh, the cars are the most important thing. No, it's I, I said that if, if there had been any human injuries, I certainly would have brought that up first. Thankfully, uh, this did not occur with anybody in the building, anybody around. So there were no injuries or, or worse, uh, just the the loss of these historically significant cars. So all the best to Gruber Motors and the entire Gruber team as they recover. In much better news this week, the first deliveries of the new refreshed Model X have begun. Tesla posted photos of the first few on their own social media channels. They're all the same configuration, which is, of course is not a surprise. They're, they do cars in batches. These are white exterior, black interior, six seat, long-range Model Xs with 20-inch wheels, no plaids as of yet, but the first deliveries have now officially begun. Now, word on the street, this is unconfirmed for now, but uh, the the chatter in the community is that Tesla does not yet have the formality of regulatory approval to start the plaid X deliveries, so it's just the long ranges for now, but still, this is absolutely great news. That means, officially... The counter can stop. The tally is over. Stop the clock. We went nine months with the Model X not in production. I'm glad that that gap in uh, in the Model X's history is now over with. Hopefully the production on these new ones, both the long range and the plaid, are going to ramp up fairly quickly and fairly soon. Next this week, by the way, if you're wondering, wait a minute, where's the earnings call recap? I will get there. There was so much to talk about in the world of Tesla this week that I wanted to do these other stories first. So uh, Tesla has removed the specific configuration choices from the Cybertruck page. If you go to put down a reservation, you can no longer choose from single motor, dual motor, or tri-motor. Now, as you know, if you've gone looking for it at any point in the last, I don't know, year or so, The Cybertruck page itself has been buried on the Tesla site for some time. You have to click the drop-down menu to find it. It's not on the homepage, no matter how far down you scroll. But still, even with that, Tesla has now eliminated configuration choices on Cybertruck reservations. You can still make a reservation, don't get me wrong, and it remains a $100 fully refundable deposit. But again, you can no longer choose how many motors you want, nor, you know, check FSD to lock in the present day FSD price in case it happens to go up between now and when the Cybertruck goes into production. So that is it. Tesla is basically not going to paint themselves into any kind of corner here on this. And and I would have to imagine that this is related to the just continually rising 
costs of materials and the ongoing chip shortage that, of course, was not a factor, nothing, something that nobody was thinking about when the Cybertruck was first announced almost exactly two years ago. We are one month shy of the two-year anniversary of the Cybertruck's announcement. It's also possible that Tesla just no longer wants to promise to build one or more of these configurations. Maybe they just don't want to even do the base model Cybertruck or kind of a little variation of that. Maybe they will, but they no longer want to promise it for $40,000 or $39,990, which is what it officially was. Or perhaps they're only going to build tri-motors for a long time at either 70000 which is what they were listed at, or maybe the price will end up being higher because of the long list. Maybe they're just going to go with a single config for a while. But I suppose one way or the other, again, it's just Tesla not wanting to be painted into a corner on these configurations and or these prices when there are forces at work presently, right now, that will affect those things that Tesla themselves has absolutely no control over. So it seems like they will allow you to choose which version you want once production actually happens, which again is due to happen in about one year from now. And at that point, certainly, they'll have finalized pricing and depending on which version you choose, you'll be placed into one of those three buckets, if there are even still three buckets, with a wait time that's gonna be matched, no doubt, to how many people are in each of those three queues. The plot thickens. Even though we haven't uh, seen the Cybertruck, hold that thought for three seconds, the, the plot thickens on the Cybertruck despite no news for a while. Until right now, because there was not just this. This was not the only significant Cybertruck development of the week. This week, what was either a new prototype or an updated version of the original prototype was spotted doing some testing out in broad daylight. Not on public roads, it was at a private airfield, but still, it was being tested outside where people could film it, and someone did. I'm not sure why Tesla didn't just do it inside, since these are zero emissions vehicles, you can just drive them around inside all you want. But anyway, uh, I say that it's either new or an updated version of the same prototype because it, it's definitely different. It had side view mirrors and rear wheel steering. The latter of which, of course, Elon has confirmed would be a feature of the truck, and the former of which is currently still the law. So we should, you know, we all expected that the Cybertruck would likely have to at least go into production with side view mirrors. I saw this story on Drive Tesla Canada, so a tip of the cap to them. They had it first, and they wrote, quote, This Cybertruck was spotted by Jesse Sandoval, who tells Drive Tesla the video was taken at the Castle Airport in Atwater, California, about a two-hour drive from the Fremont factory, end quote. And sure enough, again, that video, it is shot from a good distance, as you would expect. I mean, it's a it was an airport, so it's not like you can just walk up to it like a parking lot. So we don't get a great look at the thing, uh, which again, one of the reasons why at the moment, stay tuned later in the show, I, I have to think, oh, could be new, maybe, or it's modified existing. I'm not sure. Uh, we're going to get the answer to that later. But um, anyway, on the last earnings call, remember, Tesla did say they were in the alpha phase of development. So perhaps they have built more. Elon did comment on this when someone asked him about the side view mirrors, obviously in response to this sighting. And Elon 
certainly uh, seemed to confirm the authenticity of the video by replying and saying, quote, they're required by law, but designed to be easy to remove by owners, referring, of course, to the side view mirrors. Regardless here, it is just great to see visible progress, not just a prototype out, but hey, a prototype that's been altered, a, a, either a different car or a modified version. So uh, that is great to see. Now, obviously, we know that a lot of work is being done behind the scenes on the Cybertruck. But for me as a fan, for us as the Tesla community, it's just reinvigorating to actually see it. All right. That's everything that I have for the rest of the important Tesla news this week. So here's a quick break and a word about the fantastic vegan baking wizards at Wholesome Bakery. And I'll be right back with the shareholder letter and the earnings call recap and analysis right after this. All October long, Ride the Lightning is brought to you by Wholesome Bakery. Visit them at wholesomebakery.com. I gotta tell you about this place. As you may know, I cannot eat dairy. So finding genuinely delicious desserts can be tricky because so many great treats are made with milk, butter, or cream. That's why they taste good. But years ago, I found out about Wholesome Bakery, which is a local San Francisco minority women-owned place where everything they make is plant-based. That means nothing they offer has dairy. Not only that, though, everything on the menu is gluten-free, soy-free, and free of refined sugar, so you'll never have that crazy sugar crash. So, some years ago, I tried their cookie sandwiches. It's two cookies with a coconut-based cream filling between them, and I have to tell you, I fell in love with these things. They are genuinely the most delicious dairy-free treats I've ever had, and quite honestly, I would put them up against any dairy-based treats. They've got several flavors that I love, including chocolate chip, caramel, and a peanut butter chocolate cookie with sea salt, but they've also got a big menu of other great baked goods too, like paleo-friendly fudge brownies, marzipan truffles, and much more. So with the holidays coming up, they have a great selection of holiday favorites to choose from, like pumpkin chocolate loaves, pies, and Swiss rolls. I gotta be honest with all of you guys, unlike any other sponsorship I've ever had on this show, I sought Wholesome Bakery out on this one and not the other way around because I am a huge fan of their products. And now that they ship anywhere in the United States, I wanted to shout about it from the rooftops here on the podcast. You gotta try these out. Trust me, I promise you that you won't regret it. Check them out and get your order in at wholesomebakery.com. Again, that's W-H-O-L-E-S-O-M-E-B-A-K-E-R-Y.com. Let me start with the Q3 shareholder letter. Here is an excerpt from the opening statement in which Tesla had a net gap income of $1.6 billion. Tesla says the third quarter of 2021 was a record quarter in many respects. We achieved our best ever net income, operating profit, and gross profit. Additionally, we reached an operating margin of 14.6% exceeding our medium-term guidance of operating margin in the low teens. Perhaps more impressively, this level of profitability was achieved while our average sale price decreased by 6% year-over-year in Q3 due to continued mix shift towards lower-priced vehicles. 
Our operating margin reached an all-time high as we continue to reduce cost at a higher rate than declines in ASP, again, average sale price. A variety of challenges, including semiconductor shortages, congestion at ports, and rolling blackouts have been impacting our ability to keep factories running at full speed. We believe our supply chain, engineering, and production teams have been dealing with these global challenges with ingenuity, agility, and flexibility that is unparalleled in the automotive industry. We would like to thank everyone who helps advance our mission. Here's a couple of more little tidbits just scattered throughout the shareholder letter. One, total revenue grew 57% year over year in Q3, so compared to Q3 of last year. Also, they say our Fremont factory produced over 430,000 vehicles in the last four quarters, and we believe there is room for continued improvement. Model S production continued to ramp successfully in Q3, and Model X production ramp and first deliveries have begun. Gigafactory Texas is progressing as planned. We are in the process of commissioning equipment and fabricating our first pre-production vehicles. And then later, for standard range vehicles, we are shifting to lithium iron phosphate, or LFP, battery chemistry globally. And then also, the 4680 in-house cell project continues to progress. We are producing an increasing number of battery packs for testing purposes, and so far the test results meet our current expectations. Front and rear body castings, both needed for our structural battery pack architecture, are being produced at Gigafactory Texas. And finally, they note, we are making progress on the industrialization of Cybertruck, which is currently planned for Austin production subsequent to Model Y. So once again, Q3, the news is all good. I'll tell you, I sure could get used to this. And lately, we have been able to do just that. I would say here, the biggest new tidbit of info in this shareholder letter, it's not a, a, quite a surprise per se, but it is now official. Standard range Model 3 will be moving to the LFP chemistry worldwide. It's not just an end of quarter, borrow some battery packs from Shanghai thing. It is going to be across the board global. And we've talked extensively here over the last several episodes of this podcast about the benefits of the LFP pack. So good stuff there. Let's get to the earnings call now. So you're might, you may be wondering, was Elon Musk there? Well, as he threatened slash promised, however you want to look at it, on the last earnings call... Elon was nowhere to be found here. Instead, it was a three-person team of CFO Zach Kirkhorn, battery boss Drew Baglino, and VP of Vehicle Engineering Lars Moravi. And by the way, uh, any little ding, just ding sounds you hear in these clips, they are on Tesla's end, not mine. So this, this, this did not come from my desktop when I pulled these clips. Let's kick it off as always with the opening statement. Instead of Elon, it is Zach Kirkhorn giving that opening statement. Here he is. We're continuing to make great progress as a company, setting new records on each of the most important financial metrics for Q3. Overall, we delivered just over 240,000 cars, 20% higher than last quarter and 70% higher than the same quarter last year. We were also able to achieve an annualized production run rate of over 1 million cars towards the end of the quarter. 
The increase in production rate has primarily been driven by further ramping of the Model Y at our Shanghai factory. Additionally, we have made great progress increasing production volumes of Model S and have recently started the ramp and deliveries of Model X. It will take a bit more time to get this program back to prior volumes, but based on demand, we are targeting to exceed historical production levels. We have also completed the transition of our Shanghai factory as our main export hub. This has enabled us to supply more vehicles to the North America market and to introduce Model Y to Europe. Due to part shortages and logistics variability, we have not been able to run our factories at full capacity. It's important to note that while we have roughly doubled deliveries year to date, this has been exceptionally difficult to achieve. I want to thank our supply chain team for their incredible work and our production teams for showing impressive flexibility as we make adjustments real time. This team's expertise in the chip industry across all tiers has made a huge difference when managing through these challenges. Additionally, we never reduced our production forecast with our suppliers as we're adding capacity as quickly as possible. I also want to thank our suppliers for their dedication and partnership to Tesla. Despite these increases in production and generally higher prices, our backlogs are continuing to grow and average customer wait times are extending. The only practical way to address this in the immediate term is to do everything we can to build more cars on our existing production lines, which is where we are focused. Similar dynamics are also playing out in our storage business as we are working to expand Powerwall and Megapack production as quickly as parts and cells allow us to do so. Additionally, we have made good progress on the in-house battery manufacturing program and we're excited to have expanded the full self-driving beta program to more customers. Financially, our auto gross margins reached 30.5% on a gap basis and just under 29% excluding regulatory credits, which is our strongest yet. This benefit primarily comes from higher volumes, particularly out of the Shanghai factory, increased mix of the Model Y, as we, and we have made good progress increasing Model S volumes. The Model S has now returned to positive gross margin, and we expect this to increase with higher production and the ramp of Model X. As was the case in Q2, there was some net benefit from pricing actions. However, this remains small in the context of other contributors. Please keep in mind that given backlog, it will take time for the impact of recent changes to flow through our financials. Note that we are also not yet recognizing additional revenue from the FSD beta program. Supply chain challenges, including expedites, continue to provide cost headwinds, as was also the case with FX this quarter. While we are seeing an impact from the rise in commodity and labor costs, we have also been adjusting pricing, which should help to compensate. Overall, as I mentioned in our last call, our P&L continues to benefit from the marginal profitability of each incremental unit with higher fixed cost absorption. As a result of the great progress on margins, volume, and appropriate management of overhead costs, we were able to achieve an operating margin of just under 15%, exceeding the long-term guidance we've laid out previously. On cash, we generated record operating cash flows of $3.1 billion and continue to invest heavily in the build-out of manufacturing, supercharging, and service capacity. We also continue to retire high-interest rate debt, including the early settlement of our 2025 senior notes of $1.8 billion during the quarter. As we look forward, we are clearly quite a bit ahead of the pacing required to achieve our target annual growth rate of 50% this year. Q4 production will depend heavily on availability of parts, but we are driving for continued growth. 
We are also nearing assembly of our first production cars in Austin and Berlin. It's important to stress, while the first production car is an important milestone, the hardest work lies ahead in the ramp. Please keep in mind that we are pushing the boundaries on new product and manufacturing technologies at these factories, which makes it difficult to predict the exact pace of the ramp. These factories will also partially weigh on our margins as we work towards volume production. Overall, I'm very proud of what the team has accomplished, and I'm excited for our next phase of growth into Q4 and into 2022. The team has done a tremendous job improving our financial health in a short period of time, while also continuing to improve our precision and pace of execution. Thank you. So he combined what would have been Elon's opening statement and his, because remember he always gives one too, I often don't play it because it tends to be just very financial, combined into one statement, and he kept it fairly short too. Elon alone usually goes on for eight or nine minutes with these. His was, again, just a little over five minutes. I mean, I'm not trying to knock the guy, to be clear. I think, though, it is only fair to compare a little bit since Elon's always been the person that did these. Now, I will say Zach did repeat a lot of what Elon would have said there. And in fact, we heard some of those exact things in Elon's comments at GigaFest in Berlin last week. I mean, hey, you can tell it was all pre-written, no improvising, which that's what Elon tends to do. Although even lately, Elon's been reading pre-written stuff, at least for the opening statement lately as well. I guess it kind of has to be now that Tesla is this gigantic Fortune 500 company and, and really not a lot of news in that opening statement overall, but still I wanted to play it because I think it was good to get an overall snapshot of how well the business did in this record Q3 of 2021. Next up, here's Drew Baglino being asked by one of the retail shareholders, these questions were voted on, about the 4680s and when will the first 4680 vehicles be delivered? Drew. Uh, yeah, thanks, Martin. <clears throat> uh, early next year, from a non-cell perspective, structural battery crash range and reliability testing are on track to be complete this quarter. Um, testing is, to date has gone well, and the Fremont manufacturing line is on track to support. However, uh, similar to what Zach said before, this is a new architecture and unknown unknowns may exist still. Uh, our top priority is ensuring quality in what we deliver. Uh, and from a cell perspective, we are comfortable with the design maturity and manufacturing readiness matching the pack timeline I just mentioned. So in other words, everything's fairly on track, but he's nevertheless non-committal about when the first deliveries of 4680-based cars will start. And I can't blame him here, but I can at least say it's really reassuring to hear that everything is going pretty well on schedule with the 4680s. The next question was about the $25,000 car. Will it start production in 2023? Here's Lars. Yeah, we're working on a strategy to increase our production rates as quickly as possible. I think Zach spoke to that well. And we're doing this while um, trying to add the least amount of incremental complexity to the business. We don't want to add any new vehicles to our lineup when we're generally in a cell-constrained world. While there is still more runway to grow these existing products, we're focused on Model Y expansion in Austin, Berlin, ramping SNX further in Fremont to restore to past levels while also growing 3NY production in Fremont and Shanghai. As we've mentioned before, after Model Y in Austin, our next product launch will be Cybertruck, 
And that timing, of course, depends on increasing cell capacity, both from our suppliers and through our in-house cell, as well as many other headwinds we face in the supply chain, and completing our currently full plate of products on the table. In other words, don't expect the $25,000 car until at least 2024, because they have to clear their very long to-do list first, which, as a reminder, consists of Cybertruck, Semi, and Roadster. So three significant projects still yet to launch. And we know that those latter two aren't coming out until at least 2023. So yeah, it's going to be a while before that smaller, cheaper Tesla can get ready and get into production, which honestly kind of makes sense anyway, because they are going to need to seriously scale up the 4680 battery cell production before that $25,000 car can get built anyway, given that that vehicle is supposed to be a 1 million plus per year volume. So it's uh, they're going to have to be ready on all fronts for that thing. The next question that was voted up by retail shareholders Another good one. How quick will FSD builds progress? Might we get to weekly builds, perhaps even daily? This one's from Drew. At this point, it's not so much about how much data can we collect, but how quickly can we process the data we've collected? Uh, This is where Dojo comes in, uh, as we mentioned on AI Day, with substantially faster training computer in Dojo. We will be able to iterate more often than we do now. If, for instance, say the training, the net takes one day instead of one week, it makes a huge difference in our ability to push out more updates. But realistically, there's a whole lot more that comes into play when iterating software updates. The whole infrastructure from top to bottom, including testing and validation, needs to be set up for faster iteration. So daily updates are not really realistic for now. Well, no surprise there. It is not easy to push out updates super quickly in anything at that kind of scale. Also, since these first few questions, by the way, are retailer investor questions that are, again, upvoted in order to be chosen for the call, Tesla knows them ahead of time, and you can tell that Drew had an answer written down for that one. Whereas Elon, we could always tell, clearly did not want to be pre-briefed on the question ahead of time because he was probably doing six million other things. So Elon, would you'd always get an, some sort of off-the-cuff response which, you know, sometimes let him off the rails and we get some interesting new bit of information. But here, a, uh, a very pre-considered, carefully thought out response from Drew on that. Uh, the next question voted up was, can Tesla hit 20 million cars per year, which of course is their goal by the uh, year 2030, with just a small handful of vehicle types in the lineup, or do they need more diversity in the product lineup? Here's Lars. Thanks, Martin. Yeah, as we've mentioned before, we've seen record growth in both Model 3 and Model Y segments, where Model 3 is currently the best-selling luxury sedan worldwide. And as we mentioned at our shareholders meeting, Model Y is poised to be the best-selling vehicle in the world. Tesla continues to break molds um, in these vehicle segments, and we hope to do so with each new product. As we've said publicly, we'll eventually expand the vehicle lineup to get to larger volumes, and we believe that we will need to be in all major segments across small, mid-size, large sedans, SUVs, and trucks to do so, along with, of course, the massive space of robo-taxi. Very interesting that they see the robo-taxi fleet as a key contributor to that $20 million per year goal. So other major categories that they're not in would probably be stuff like, off the top of my head, 
minivans, commercial vans, coupes maybe, and I'm not counting the Roadster in that group because that thing's a halo car, it's a supercar. Uh, subcompact, like say, you know, the Mini Cooper or Fiat 500, that kind of class. There are a lot of fun places to go in the coming decade, and it's going to be really fun to watch Tesla go into those different vehicle categories. The next question, yes, we are still on the upvoted retail shareholder questions, which is great because retail shareholders ask very good questions. What is the production capacity goal for each of the four factories in the coming couple of years? Here's Zach. You know, our our goal as a company here is to grow um, on an average pace of 50% per year. And, uh, And so you can extrapolate that out. You know, there may be some periods of time in which we're well ahead of that. There could be some periods of time, uh, despite best efforts, where we're slightly lower than that. Uh, But that that remains the long-term goal of the company. Uh, In in Fremont, you know, we're we're continuing to push the boundaries of what's possible there. You know, over the last 12 months, we've done about 430,000 cars of production. And, you know, based upon it, everything that we know in the factory, where the bottlenecks are, what the potential is, uh, we're we're targeting to increase that another 50%. Um, I think that will be a a difficult goal, but that's the goal that the internal team has, and they're going to continue to push on that. Um, As we look towards Shanghai, we're continuing to push the boundaries there, and we continue to ramp production there as well. So most recently, the ramp of the Model Y uh, which was our biggest contributor of volume in Q3, uh, we'll continue to ramp that factory. And, um, uh, uh, you know, and, and our plans there with time are to, to keep growing the capacity in that factory. Um, Austin and Berlin are, are interesting factories because, you know, our first iterations of capacity there are on Model Y. But we've intentionally uh, set these factories in locations in which they have a quite uh, significant amount of land and ability to expand. And so, you know, we'll take Model Y at these factories. You know, we're trying to get to 5,000 cars a week as soon as we can. And then we'll continue to push beyond that, uh, potentially even getting to 10,000 cars per week at those factories. Uh, And then we'll add Cybertruck here in Austin um, and continue to grow from there. So, you know, our our goal is to get to millions of cars per year over the next couple of years, and then ultimately in the long term, be able to achieve 20 million cars per year. We're going to grow as as quickly as is feasibly possible with an eye towards a 50% annual growth rate. I got to be honest here. I thought Tesla was already doing more than 430,000 per year out of Fremont. I thought that the three alone was 250,000 per year just there. And the Y was supposed to be above that at this point. So that's interesting to me. 430,000 uh, over the past 12 months averages out to 8,600 cars per week total, which would have been amazing in the Model 3 days. But with the 3 and the Y, I mean, the S was barely a part of that. I would have to presume that that split means roughly 4,000 threes a week and 4,600 Ys. I mean, it's nothing to sneeze at, certainly. I just thought, for whatever reason, that they were well above that. But 50% more than that would, of course, be just about 650,000. If they get back to doing 100,000 S and X combined, 
that would be uh, about 530,000 of the 650,000 that they hope to grow to. There's Roadster, which is scheduled to be made in Fremont as of our last update on that. That's going to be a drop in the bucket, virtually nothing, uh, again, production-wise. So that means that Tesla aims to get another 100 to 120,000 per year cars out of the three and the Y combined, which would be certainly very impressive production growth out of that factory. Uh, The next question is about service and supercharging, that they are being stressed, the fleet is growing quickly. How is Tesla addressing that? Zach, and then Drew comments on this as well. Yeah, I'll I'll take the service part of this question. Drew, you can take the supercharging part. Um, We have seen an increase uh, in service wait times throughout the summer. And uh, there's a couple things that have contributed to that based upon the information that we have. Now, the, the first is that, um, and I, I think this is kind of uh, not, this is not unique to us, is that the, the return to some sense of normalcy in a post-pandemic world has happened, I think, more quickly than most people expected. And, uh, and what we're seeing here is that, that the number of miles that people are driving has increased. Uh, there may have been some demand for service during 2020 or in the early parts of 2021 that customers put off. And so there's a bit of a catch-up that's occurring that that has increased demand for service. At the same time, in the macro environment here, uh, logistics, moving parts, sourcing parts uh, has become increasingly more difficult, which is a well-known issue in the world right now, as well as as, uh, challenges in the labor market. And so there's kind of this simultaneous increase in demand for service um, where the ability to supply that service uh, has been impacted for the reasons I mentioned. And so, you know, we saw an uptick pr- primarily in Europe and North America in service wait times over the course of the summer. And we've been working extremely hard since then to address this. Uh, uh, and we've seen our wait times come down. So this is not the case in every location, but if you think about it from regional average perspectives, we are seeing improvements there. Uh, we remain super focused on adding uh, adding locations. And so over the last year, we've grown our physical footprint of service centers by 35%. We've grown our footprint of mobile repair by over 40%. We're also adding staffing as quickly as we can in the areas that are most impacted by the imbalance of supply and demand for service. But I, I think the most important part about all of this is uh, and we've said this on calls before, where the best service is no service. <laughs> and so uh, we have been incredibly focused as a company, both on um, the initial quality of our vehicles and reliability of our vehicles. Uh, and we've seen pretty substantial improvements in both of those metrics um, over the long term and over the last couple of quarters. So it it is something that remains on our minds. We monitor this very closely, but hopefully that's a helpful explanation into the context and what we're doing. Uh, Yeah, and on the supercharger side, um, the supercharging team monitors congestion and plans expansion to ensure customer experience with minimal wait times uh, alongside the growth in our vehicle fleet. Um, while we certainly have work to do in, in expanding capacity in some congested areas, average congestion on the network has decreased over the past 18 months. Um, 
nonetheless, we're not standing still. Uh, we are executing accelerating expansion plans globally. The network has doubled in the last 18 months, and we're planning to triple it over the next two years. Um, and, and even so, on an individual site basis, to combat existing congestion more quickly where it is isolated and problematic, we expedite local relief sites, deploy mobile superchargers, and we try to introduce pricing strategies that encourage more off-peak usage to avoid the waiting. Thank you very much. Um, and one, just one thing to add on supercharging. Uh, you know, if you haven't experienced um, our latest iteration of battery packs that can handle fast charge rates in combination with um, our 250-watt kilowatt charging stations, it's pretty incredible. And this is a really important component to supercharging capacity because uh, the faster you can charge, the more charge sessions that you can have on an individual post, uh, the better the customer experience is as you're going on a long-term journey uh, because your supercharging times are lower. Yeah. So, so this is a really important part of the strategy. Supercharging team has done a great job rolling these out. Uh, but um, it requires a combination of both the 250 kilowatt charging and our latest iteration of battery packs. Um, and we've, we've also maintained uh, an ongoing roadmap on software improvements, uh, dynamic routing to avoid busy superchargers. That, that's actually really helpful. We take the real-time busyness of the stations into account when choosing where, where to navigate people on their, on their uh, road trip. Um, and beyond that, we're also continuing to improve the trip planner itself and how it estimates how much energy people use so it's not too conservative and asking people to charge more than they need to, which is another thing that can delay a, a total trip. I am so, so glad this question was asked. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you know that service remains my personal key concern about this company long-term. They just have to stay on top of it, or better yet, stay ahead of it. And yes, I realize that that's far easier said than done. And on the supercharging side, hearing Drew talk about the intention to triple the size of the supercharging network over the next two years is just outstanding news. I mean, the fleet itself is going to get a heck of a lot larger over the next two years, but tripling the present supercharging network should probably, I think, help Tesla stay again on top of or even ahead of that fleet growth. In fact, California folks know about Kettleman City, arguably the gold standard of superchargers, because it's got the private Tesla owners only lounge with the merch stand in there and the barista. That's a 40 stall supercharger, uh, roughly halfway between San Francisco and Los Angeles. And they uh, are now adding 56 more V3 stalls there right now, which means that Kettleman City is going to be up to 96 stalls here before too long. But anyway, I loved that tidbit at the end there, by the way, about the navigation system rerouting you to a less crowded supercharger. That's really cool. All right, we're still rolling here and still rolling with a retail upvoted question, which is great. The question was asked, will full self-driving's price be going up anytime soon? Here's Zach. We won't be providing any kind of forward-looking commentary on our pricing strategy or what may happen here. Uh, over the near term. Uh, with respect to the first part of the question, uh, this has been an interesting thing for us to unpack within the company. I mean, what, what I'll say just as a general statement before I make a couple of specific comments 
is that uh, uh, you know the things that we learn on FSD subscription today are are not necessarily all that relevant. Um, th this is really more of a platform uh, for when FSD beta goes into wide release and the features and functionality become more accessible to more customers. The the second thing that I'll note is that you know if you if you look at the pricing, the monthly pricing of FSD subscription, and then you compare that to the cost of either rolling FSD option into your lease or your loan, you know, on a monthly basis, the most economical way for a customer to enjoy the features of full self-driving uh, is through purchasing it up front and, and rolling it through their financing. And you know, as a result of that, what we've seen in the data is just not we're, we're unable to detect a change in the upfront take rate of FSD when people purchase cars. We have seen quite a bit of activity of folks curious to experience what the software has to offer uh, and subscribing to it and enjoying it through that route. Um, but again, as I said at the beginning, you know, I, I think what we've seen so far on FSD subscription is, is not terribly relevant. You know, we'll, we'll see how that plays out in the future as we continue to release more features. Good. They're smart to not talk about the price of this software going up. I mean, the take rate on both the full package and the monthly subs, that is going to determine if, when, and how much the price does go up. But I, if I'm a betting man, I cannot see it going up again for a while, personally. And I don't have anything to go on on that. It's just me observing Tesla as I do each and every week. Hopefully, that prediction is not just wishful thinking. Okay, here is the, uh, let's see, no, not, I guess not quite the final retailer question, but this is, this is a key one. So retailers got a question through, and again, bless them for it, about transferring full self-driving from one car to another. This is a big question. The community feels one way about this, and Elon and Tesla seem to feel another way. So I appreciate the retail investors upvoting this to get it through to just continue to press Tesla on this. Sadly, Elon not on the call to field this himself, but here is Zach speaking to it. Um, uh, I don't think that this is widely known, but we're already actually doing the sentiment of what this question is asking. Uh, if you trade in your Tesla uh, to Tesla, uh, we, there's a, a difference in price that we pay for a, a, a trade-in that has FSD compared to one that doesn't. And um, and so there's there's that premium that we pay to repurchase the FSD. That money can then be applied towards the purchase of a new car. So I, I just you know I, we hear this feedback quite a bit. We see it on social media. We see it in the forums, etc. And um, uh, and so this already does exist, not not directly in the form here, and and we don't call it out explicitly in the trade-in. Potentially that we have increased the price of your trade-in as a result. Um, and hopefully this clears this up because we do actually do that. Honestly, I've got to respectfully take issue with Zach's response here. First of all, if they say they're giving value to FSD on trade-ins, but they see this feedback all the time on social media and message boards and say they don't detail it on the trade-in offer, well, doesn't that suggest that maybe they should be calling it out on the trade-in offer? Honestly, him saying, hopefully this clears it up, isn't going to clear it up because not everybody is listening to Tesla's earnings calls or this podcast, nor should they have to. 
It's such an avoidable messaging failure on Tesla's part there. And that's also, by the way, without knowing exactly how much value they're offering people for FSD on trade-ins. His definition of good value might differ quite a bit from the customer's perspective on that. Second, I have to say that he completely avoided the FSD transfer question, dodging it like Neo dodging bullets in the matrix. And this now still, this remains a key issue for the community. A lot of people are hesitant to upgrade their Tesla and for good reason until this gets resolved. So I hope that this question continues to get asked and continues to get upvoted on every earnings call until Tesla finally takes this question head on and gives a clear and thoughtful response to it. So keep that polite and very respectful pressure up, friends. That is the way to enact change on this issue. By the way, I uh, have to interrupt the flow of the podcast here talking about the earnings call because as I'm recording here on Friday night, a Tesla contact of mine texted me mid-recording to give me the heads up that Tesla has, as they usually do, it's these things tend to happen late Friday nights, Tesla has increased prices again. The standard range plus model three is up another $2,000 and now starts at $44,000. It was 40, like an, an eye blink ago. So that's, uh, that's gone up quite a bit. In fact, it's gone up 10%. That's a lot. The long range model Y is up another $2,000 as well. That now starts at $56,000. And as I predicted after the last $5,000 price increase on the new S and the new X before either of them had even shipped, they both indeed did get another $5,000 price increase before the year ended, just as I am very sad to have correctly predicted on this. The new S now starts at $95,000 and the new X starts at $105,000. Although strangely, the Plaid X still has not gotten any of these price increases. So the Plaid X remains at $120,000, meaning the price delta between the long range X and the Plaid X is $15,000. Whereas the price delta on the long range S and the Plaid S is $35,000. That is quite a disparity when you compare those two. My goodness. All right, back to the earnings call. Another one upvoted by the community. They are at Tesla has been asked here, will Tesla show off the new Cybertruck after Elon promised to release photos of it last November? Here's Lars answering that. Yeah, thanks, Martin. You get a lot of questions on Cybertruck. We've been busy detailing the Cybertruck to to achieve the the prototype version we shared with customers a while back. Um, As you may have seen recently on social media, we've built a number of alphas and are currently testing those to further mature the design. Um, And while those point out a a few key additions like rear steer, there are also a number of smaller or less visible improvements, um, though the product is largely true to the initial vision. Um, We'll continue to work through the product in the beta stages that we're in now um, and and look to launch that um, late next year. 
Okay, well, scratch what I said earlier at the top of the show. That Cybertruck that was spotted was a new one and not another prototype, but an Alpha, which means that we might start seeing them on public roads before too long, because if previous history, Tesla history that is, holds on that, we might start seeing Alphas on the road any time in the next three to six months, maybe. So really, really exciting stuff. Also uh, noted here, as I've been talking about, they did a lot of retailer investor questions on this call. Nine of them, which again, I think is great to see because those are really good community questions that get bubbled up that are just, uh, that are things that the analysts tend not to ask because they have other priorities. They're mostly concerned about their investments and the finances. But then again, the analysts do still get uh, a good lion's share of time on these things. We're going to do some of those now. Let's see if we can get some good questions out of them this time around. Although before I do, I actually have to stop and correct myself. This is a, a evolving show on the fly this week. I unfortunately misspoke about the Model Y price increase. It is actually $57,000 now for the long range Model Y not 56, so I apologize for getting that wrong. And the current delivery estimate, by the way, it's been getting longer and longer and longer. The estimated delivery, at least showing for me here in California, here on October 22nd as I record this, estimated delivery for a long-range Model Y, August. August, that is crazy, a 10-month wait. Now, of course, if you step up to a performance, they'll find you one much sooner and you'll have it in December. So uh, that's Tesla just trying to get every dollar they can here under this you know, parts situation, the semiconductor situation. But these price increases, man, these are, these are getting harder and harder to stomach. I mean, I get the economics of it, but it does seem just unfortunate in the face of the mission of the company getting, you know, Tesla has come out and said on these earnings calls and a lot, they say, you know, we want to get the prices of our vehicles down as much as possible, make them more affordable, get them so more people can have them. Unfortunately, the opposite of that is happening right now with these price increases that again, I get are largely due to market forces, but also the demand is driving this as well. So it's sort of a, just a, an unfortunate recipe that is, that is uh, simmering right now, but boy, may, deli- uh, excuse me, um, yeah, May delivery for a, wait, that's interesting. It was just August 10 seconds ago and I clicked it again and now it says May. Huh, still a long wait. Anyway, let me move on with the rest of the podcast here. Point is the wait times are still very long for a Model Y. They are not getting shorter. They are getting longer. All right, so as I said, we're gonna go to an analyst question here and it is about the insurance rollout, the Tesla insurance rollout in Texas and beyond. Here is Zach speaking very passionately about that topic. Um, I'm, I'm extremely passionate about our insurance product. Uh, we have a terrific team here at Tesla of folks who have been spending a lot of time developing this. They're probably listening to the call. So um, we're, we're pretty excited so far, Pierre. So, I mean, at the highest level here, you know, we entered the insurance market uh, kind of unintentionally, I would say. You know, our customers were coming to us complaining that the price of traditional insurance was too high and it was reducing the affordability of a Tesla. 
And part of our journey here at Tesla is we want as many people as possible to be able to afford our products. That's extremely important to achieving the mission of the company. And if you look at the price of insurance as a percentage of what somebody's monthly payment is, it's quite high. And we spend extreme amounts of effort in manufacturing to take $5 of bomb cost out here or $10 out somewhere else. If we can get um, you know, $5, $10, $20, $30 out on a monthly payment, you can calculate what that means in terms of reduction of, of the price of the car if you finance it. And the leverage of improving insurance cost is huge in terms of affordability. And so that's kind of the context by which we stepped into this. As we started to do more research, um, you know, essentially the tools by which the uh, insurance is traditionally calculated uh, are optimized based upon the existing data, but the existing data is limited. So they fo- there's a focus on things like marital status or age or um, other attributes like that. You know, accident history is a good one, et cetera. Um, but what, what essentially happens here is uh, customers who are low risk um, and, and don't actually file many claims end up overpaying on their insurance relative to their cost. That overpayment then goes to riskier customers who are essentially being subsidized. And, you know, as we looked at this and we looked at the data, we thought this, this just doesn't seem like it's fair. Uh, you know, at Tesla, because our cars are connected, because they are essentially computers on wheels, there's enormous amounts of data that we have available to us to be able to assess uh, the attributes of a driver who's operating that car and whether those attributes uh, correlate with safety. Um, because we do get a signal when a car has been in an accident. So we've been spending our time looking looking at, you know, hundreds of different variables uh, and also looking at billions of miles of driving history. And we've been able to fit a model that um, that uh, is able to predict with decent accuracy the probability of collision over a period of time. And, and the model is not perfect, right? The model is a function of the data that we have available. That data set continues to grow. We continue to experiment with, with new variables. But we do have a model that, um, that, that works pretty well so far. And, and from that model, being able to predict frequency of collision, we can then align that against a price curve. And we can have ind- individualized pricing uh, integrated into the car, integrated into the app, integrated into that customer's experience with a feedback loop back to the customer on how they are driving after every drive the attributes that they were successful on or unsuccessful on, and the tips of things that they can do to improve their safety. Uh, So that's what we've developed. We then included the safety score as part of the FSD beta enrollment program, where we have almost 150,000 cars currently using the safety score, uh, and I believe the latest data is over 100 million miles of driving. So we've been able to go back and analyze that data and we've learned two things coming from that. The first is that uh, the probability of collision for a customer using a safety score versus not is 30% lower. It's a pretty big difference. It means that the product is working and customers are responding to it. The second thing with, that we've looked at is 
what is the probability of collision based upon actual data as a function of a driver's safety score? Uh, and that is aligning with our models. Most notably, you know, if you're in the top tier of safety compared to lower tiers, you know, there's you know, multiple X difference in probability of collision based upon actual data. So, you know, this is a, a very new and very exciting frontier for us. I, I know that was long-winded, but I, I, we spent a lot of time on this and we put a lot of thought into it. Spe specifically with respect to the rollout, uh, the insurance industry in the U.S. is intensely regulated and it's regulated on a state-by-state -state level. That means that we require regulatory approvals from each individual department of insurance at each individual state. Uh, Texas is the first state that we launched in. Um, I do want to thank the, the Texas insurance regula regulators here. You've been great to work with. We have a roadmap of, of additional states. We will launch the product in those states as we receive regulatory approvals. And our goal is to be in every major market in which we have cars in. Um, the, the, we, we did a soft launch in Texas, um, was it last week? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and, you know, what we're seeing in initial take rate data is that, um, you know, if you compare that to what we're seeing in California, uh, we're, we're off to a good start here. So uh, we're very excited about it. We're excited about individual risk-based pricing. We're excited about the ability for folks to become safer and as a result, save money. And it feeds into our priority of a company uh, of, of building the safest products in the world. Yeah, if I can add to that, just it's really exciting for the engineering team to see the finance team uh, and and taking on you know safety in, into their uh, world too. It's it's just pervasive. So thanks for that, guys. Thank you, Lars. <laughs> well, Zach wasn't kidding. He really is passionate about Tesla insurance, which is great. Uh, but some really good information there. So I wanted to play you that whole thing. I know it was long. I have never thought about the idea that higher risk drivers are somewhat subsidized by the lower risk folks, but it does make sense. And it's really neat to hear that they're already seeing driver behavior improve as a result of safety scores. I mean, with regard to insurance, obviously all of us trying to get the full self-driving beta, yes, our driving behavior is definitely improving because of, uh, you know, we're trying to score as high as possible to get the beta sooner. But on that note, we also now know that there are 150,000 basically FSD beta applicants thus far, of which I am one, which is certainly a pretty small percentage of the fleet, though, of course, not every car in the fleet has the hardware to be even capable of FSD. And on top of that, not everyone who does has paid for the FSD package or has a monthly subscription, but still 150,000, again, I'm calling them applicants, that's a lot. Uh, okay, I've got, let's see, three more clips for you here. This next one, uh, relevant to the topic that I just shoehorned in with these price increases, here is Zach speaking directly to the price increases and the demand recently. Yeah, pricing has been a really difficult thing for us uh, over the last couple of quarters. Um, and you know, where part of, the, part of the challenge is, well, uh, uh, I mean, the great thing that we're seeing in the space right now is you know, there, there appears to just be quite a profound awakening of 
the desirability for electric vehicles. And I mean, to be totally frank, it's caught us a little bit off guard. And you know that that kind of awakening and and change in consumer sentiment. Uh, I'm sure there's lots of reasons that go into it, but um, folks want to buy an electric car and folks want to buy a Tesla right now. Uh, it's very exciting for us. You know, at the same time, you know, we have installed capacity to build more cars, but we're constrained by a number of dynamics, as we've talked about in great detail. Uh, and we are putting in extreme effort to build as many cars as we possibly can. Uh, it's it's hard to overstate how extreme the efforts are. It's quite the grind. Um, we're trying as hard as we can to, to maximize that capacity and to be able to meet the demand that we're receiving. Uh, but, you know, the net net of all of this is that we're not able to increase production capacity fast enough. So, um, you know, th- th- at the same time, we, we are seeing... Uh, macroeconomic cost impacts on our structure, as we've discussed previously on the call. So we're trying to think through, you know, if somebody orders a car now, it'll, it could be delivered in some cases, you know, depending upon the car and which factory, could be a couple of months, could be a couple of quarters. And the timing in which we build that car will be just, you know, just before that car gets delivered. And you know, what will the world look like at that point? And so we're, we're trying to think through how the cost structure is evolving. How does, how does pricing need to change with that? What are the supply dynamics in the space? Um, the, the other thing that I'll just note on pricing is that you know, companies change pricing all the time. The, the difference is that when Tesla changes pricing, it's extremely transparent, uh, where that's not always the case otherwise. And, you know, sometimes our pricing will increase, sometimes our pricing will reduce. Uh, sometimes to the public, our pricing changes may not seem to make logical sense. But, you know, there is a strategy that we work behind the scenes as we're balancing supply and demand, as we're um, also trying to balance various shortages on parts, as we're trying to manage wait times. All of that goes into the optimization here. The most fascinating part of that answer for me was Zach saying that even Tesla itself has been caught off guard by the spike in demand lately. (laughs) Remember last week when I played you the clip of Tesla co-founder J.B. Straubel talking about how Tesla thought everyone would copy them after the Model S came out and won all kinds of awards, but nobody did? This feels like a little bit of a full circle moment for that. Here, Tesla is working hard in 2021, and unlike 2012, now Tesla literally can't build enough cars because so many people want them. They have worked so hard to get to this moment, and they've made five great products over the past 12 to 13 years, and the the snowball is just starting to roll down the hill. All right, the penultimate clip I've got for you is in regards to NHTSA, the National Highway Traffic Safety Association, along with the FSD concerns, let's say, that the United States government has had about the way in which Tesla is developing and publicly rolling that out. So here's Zach. Yeah, so I guess we'll take them in order. Um, You know, it's difficult to be specific on the timelines. Uh, uh, The autopilot team is working extremely hard uh, iterating on every version. Uh, we are being extremely transparent, you know, through the release of this to public customers who are posting information online. 
So, you know, when you're using full self-driving and you're going through the iterations, you can feel the progress. And uh, for those who don't have it in their cars, you know, social media is excellent at getting a sense for how that's progressing. Uh, and the team is moving quickly uh, with every iteration, with every update. Uh, and they're working very hard on that. Um, on your second question about the criteria to release deferred revenue, um, the, the way that this works is, you know, we have made certain commitments as, uh, as to what this, this product can offer at the time that a customer has purchased that. And so what we have to assess is, you know, have we met those commitments and is uh, the software uh, uh, widely available to the folks that we've made those commitments to uh, within a certain geography? And, you know, given that FSD is still currently in the beta phase, uh, it's invitation only and it's limited, uh, we have not deemed that to be appropriate for recognition of deferred revenue. And we'll continue to evolve this. Uh, we'll continue to monitor it within the finance team uh, um, to see when we get to the milestones in which we're comfortable releasing. Uh, on the NHTSA question, Lars, do you want to take that? Sure. I mean, as I said earlier, uh we always cooperate fully with, with, with NHTSA and other regulatory bodies in, in any sort of investigation they may have, particularly related to, you know, ADAS systems when they came out with a standing general order in July. We, we, we were quick to respond to that and, and one of the first and only companies capable of actually meeting the, the needs of, of that report. Um, we continue to send that information to them um, as required, you know, weekly and, and as incidents occur. Um, and with the additional investigations, um, as I said, we, we meet that with with uh, great sincerity and we'll, we'll work through them one by one to make sure that all the facts come out and, and, and that NHTSA is well informed about our strategies for both active safety in this case, but also passive safety. Um, as you guys may know, we released um, updates to our airbag and restraint system last week to Model Y using our fleet data. Um, we worked closely with NHTSA on that. Um, and, and they were fully in the loop before we did it. So um, I, I think these kinds of things will continue to, to, to happen in the, the new regulatory space that Zach uh, discussed um, as we move towards a software-based vehicle. And we're happy to be a part of that journey. Zach and then Lars jumping in. And uh, Lars very deliberately playing nice with NHTSA right there. And quite frankly, I don't blame him because NHTSA could make Tesla's life pretty miserable if they wanted to, I'm sure. So despite the friction that's happening between the two of them lately, Lars taking the high road there, which is uh, certainly the right thing to do. And also Zach confirming that Tesla is not recognizing any deferred revenue from FSD as of yet with just the limited beta that's going out to folks with the high enough safety scores right now. But he also didn't say if they would recognize it when this current implementation of FSD goes out to all paying customers. Although for all we know, that could, I mean, that could be two months or two years from now. I don't know, but presumably they will recognize the revenue at that time. But as the analyst who asked the question noted, what Tesla is building right now is a very sophisticated level two system, not a level four or level five system. So we will see how that shakes out over time. The final question was about new factories and whether or not Tesla will actually deliver cars out of those two new factories this year or not. Here's Zach. So it, it remains our target um, in both Austin and Berlin to be able to build our first production cars before the end of the year. 
you know, we, we've talked about this a bit, you know, the unknown unknowns, new factories, new vehicle designs, new technologies, new locations, new re new teams. So, you know, the, there's uh, quite an execution journey ahead of us. Uh, but that remains our target and all of our plans are oriented around that. Um, we, uh, you know, for... Um, uh, we, we should not expect for, for us to deliver cars by the end of 2021 from these factories, even if we do produce some. So uh, homologation, regulatory reasons, uh, and we'll want to make sure that we build up some number of cars that, uh, that we're confident in the quality and the customer experience around them. The, the second thing that I'll say, and I mentioned this in my opening remarks, is be because of the newness here, it's extremely difficult for us to be precise in what the ramp will look like. And uh, it's possible things, things, the stars align and things move quickly. It's possible that we're spending the bulk of next year working on ramping these factories. It, it's just very hard to say. And we'll continue to update you all through these calls and through other forums. It, as to how that then impacts our margins, well, I hate to end this earnings call wrap up on some bad news, but that is new. That's a change from just a week ago where Elon at GigaFest in Berlin said they were on track to do the first deliveries from Berlin at the end of the year. But the good news is at least it sounds like they're taking their time to make sure that quality assurance is all buttoned up in these two new buildings. And then I presume both will hit the ground running in 2022. All right, that is the entire earnings call recap I've got for you, but stick with me. I've got a little bit more show for you right after this. I guess I should note the Ride the Lightning hotline, as you may have already guessed by now since the show is already over an hour long. Uh, I am not going to do that this week. I will save it for next week. Feel free to keep your calls coming though if you wanna comment on FSD beta, on something you heard in the earnings call. Uh, if you've got a question, comment, or discussion topic, dial me up anytime. There are two easy ways to do that. Either use your smartphone's built-in voice recording software and record your question. Please try to keep it to 90 seconds or less. Email that file to me at teslapodcast at gmail.com. Alternatively, you can call and leave a message on the Ride the Lightning hotline. It's a toll-free number. It's very easy. Just call one 888 989-8752. Again, that's one 989 tsla and I'll be right back. I wanted to give you my impressions of the Tesla Petliner, now that I've used it a few times, and I will say very positive impressions. It's definitely the deluxe version of a product like this. You can get something cheaper that works pretty darn well. This is absolutely the high-end version of this kind of product. The storage bag, I was actually surprised, it's pretty big. It's a very big storage bag. It almost looks like a, like a violin case. Like that's the kind of the size it is. But at the same point, it just manages to fit snugly in the bottom trunk well of my Model 3, which is nice. I do really like that it covers everything. Like you cannot really see any back seat when this thing is on, or door panel. And speaking of those door panels, they're extremely easy to install and they stay on totally just fine. They do a great job. But I will say it seems like 
if you've got your back windows tinted, which I do, that you might not want to roll those back windows up and down because the tabs that secure the door panel protector in place just would are rubbing up against like they go in between the door trim and the glass. That's how they secure in. So when the when the window is going to go up and down, it's going to rub against the tab of the pet liner, you know, of that door panel uh, protector. And I'm not saying anything bad would happen necessarily, but I'm not too keen to find out. So if if your dog likes to have the window down and or you you know you like to roll the window up or down for your dog depending on whatever you know your choice is there it's definitely something to be wary of with this product but uh definitely like it a lot definitely like it a lot so if you're interested you can find it in the Tesla store shop.tesla.com again it's uh available for the 3 the S or the Y and then there's a separate version for the X. So it is available for all the vehicles. It's just there are two SKUs on this. All right. Uh, the pro tip of the week comes from Pat in Austin. Go ahead, Pat. Ryan, Pat in Austin. Thanks for all the effort on the podcast. Here's a pro tip that I don't think many people know about. If you want to lock your Tesla immediately when you leave, uh, instead of waiting until you leave the vehicle or leave the proximity of the vehicle, you can actually hit the lock button on the screen. And when you shut the door, it'll lock. I found this is handy when you're in an area where you want the car to lock immediately and not those few seconds while you're going away from the car or when you're just kind of hanging around the car, maybe like at a coffee shop or something like that, and the car's not locking because you're not far enough away from it. It just makes it a little easier than going into the app. Keep up the good work with the podcast. Pat, I did not know that one. So this definitely counts as a great pro tip in my book. I'm happy to add it to my knowledge arsenal And I'm happy that you were able to share that with your fellow owners and enthusiasts. So thank you very much for that. And again, if anyone else out there has a pro tip of the week, I'd love to hear it. And so would everyone else. So you can call that in the same way that you send in a regular Ride the Lightning hotline call. And I gave you the call-in instructions for that just a few minutes ago. With that, let me mention some friends of the podcast. Hopefully they can help you out. You can help them slash me out as well. Let's start with abstractocean.com, that fourth gen screen protector. Apparently you guys are really liking it because word from Abstract Ocean is that they are out of stock and the restock has been slowed due to the log jam at the ports. However, I'm told that they should be back anytime. So keep checking. Also, I'm told you can hit the notify me button on there uh, if you happen to go to the site and it's not in stock, but I'm told it's expected back very soon. They've also got all kinds of great lighting solutions and a ton of other great aftermarket Tesla accessories at abstractocean.com. Go there, pile everything you like into your online shopping cart because you want to do, you know, one big purchase rather than a bunch of little ones so that you can use the one-time coupon code RTLpodcast at checkout which will get you 15% off of your first order. Again, that's RTL podcast, all one word smushed together there. So check them out, abstractocean.com. Tons of great stuff. Meanwhile, Snap Plate available for all four Teslas. Get yours at everyamp.com slash RTL. This is the front license plate bracket to get. If you are gonna put a front plate in your car, if you have to put a front plate on your car, Uh, because it does not use automotive adhesive tape 
the way that the ones that Tesla gives you with your car do, this thing will go on uh, easily in seconds, snaps on and off in seconds, but it'll also go on very securely. You can take it on and off easily for car shows, for washing your car, detailing your car, put it back on if you're parked at a, a meter, something like that, if you're gonna be going through a toll bridge, a toll booth, something of that accord. So get yours for any of the four Teslas at everyamp.com slash RTL. Don't forget about Immaculate Reflections, irdetailing.com. That's the place to go if you want to get in touch and get booked in or just poke around and see what's uh, what Jeff offers, what the detailing solutions are, some of his old work. I'm sure my car is probably... Actually, I haven't looked at his site in a while to see if my car is on there, but in any case... Immaculate Reflections here in the greater San Francisco Bay Area, an incredibly talented detailer, very meticulous, and an even better quality human being than than Jeff is a detailer. He's just great. I can't recommend him enough. He's taken amazing care of my car. So go to irdetailing.com if you're going to be in the neighborhood with your Tesla and you'd like to get something like, say, paint correction done on the car paint protection film on the front of it or all of it or just key parts of it. Uh, Or maybe you even want to do ceramic coating as well so that you don't have to wax the car for the next three to five years because ceramic coating is basically like a super deluxe version of waxing. So I'm a big fan of all those things and again of Immaculate Reflections. Mention that you are a Ride the Lightning listener and there's a nice little discount waiting for you should you get in contact and book in with Jeff at Immaculate Reflections. Meanwhile, puretesla.com slash RTL, that's the website to go to for the one-stop dash cam and sentry mode setup. It's a micro SD-based solution that plugs in, of course, via the car's USB ports. It will just go. It will just work for months and years on end. Uh, I am living proof. I'm not just a customer. I'm or was it? Well, I guess I'm not the president, but but I am a client. So yeah, that's uh, the younger audience is like, what are you even referencing? And it's a it's a it's a commercial from when I was a kid for a hair club for men. It's anyway, that's neither here nor there. PureTesla.com slash RTL. Get your 128 gigabyte uh, Sentry mode kit. For $49, shipped free anywhere in the United States uh, or a modest fee for shipping worldwide. Note that they also have a great wireless game controller package now with the sort of sleek Super NES-inspired game pads for that, if that's of interest, if you like to do some gaming in your car. So you can get either of those products now at puretesla.com slash RTL. And then Jada... Don't miss the wireless charging pad for your phone. If you have a pre-2021 Model 3 like me, it is probably, again, in my opinion, the number one accessory to get for the pre-2021 Model 3s. And then if you have any of the cars, grab a USB hub console. Actually, these are specifically for the 2021s and soon to be 2022s, barring any changes that Tesla might make, because... The USB hub console is kind of an all-in-one deal. Storage organizer, USB hub, Apple Watch charger, AirPod charger. So good stuff there. They also sell a separate USB hub 
and a couple of other goodies as well. So poke around, check it out. The coupon code for Jada is RTL. That'll get you a nice little discount. And if you would, please use my referral link because in full transparency, they'll kick a couple bucks my way if you happen to buy something on their website through my referral link. So that link is getjada.com slash R-E-F slash eight. Jada spelled J-E-D-A. That will just about wrap it up. If you are not already subscribing slash following this podcast, that's uh, which of course is free on all major podcast platforms, you can do that on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts, on Stitcher, on TuneIn or Spotify. Both of those two are available natively in your Tesla. Or I'm also on YouTube in audio-only form. Just search Ride the Lightning Tesla on YouTube and you'll find my channel very easily. You can subscribe that way. And finally, of course, well, I guess I'll mention my social medias if you're interested there. You can follow me on Twitter at DMC underscore Ryan. That's mostly video game stuff, but some Tesla stuff in there from time to time. Whereas my Instagram is all Tesla all the time. Same handle, DMC underscore Ryan. And then finally, let me mention my Patreon As always, that is the primary and preferred way to support the podcast. Although, again, speaking quite honestly, I would love it if you would give Wholesome Bakery a try as well because they've been kind enough to sponsor this podcast. Uh, If you want to try their completely plant-based treats, I, again, seriously, like I'm not one to BS you guys. They are delicious. You will not regret getting whether you want to do the cookie sandwiches. That's what I like to get. Or maybe try some of their other stuff. But, uh, you know, you heard you heard the plug for that back in the beginning part of the show. But anyway, the Patreon's the number one way because that's really what keeps the lights on with this thing. That's, that's what helps justify the significant amount of time and energy and research and enthusiasm that I do put into this podcast each week. The Patreon, of course, will always be voluntary. The show is never walled off. It's the opposite is with the Patreon, I just offer perks and bonuses if you decide to go ahead and support me on there. So you can take a look at all that stuff and or make a pledge at patreon.com slash Tesla podcast, Patreon spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. The support tiers start at just five bucks a month and that will get you early access to each week's episode. Or you can, there's a few in between, you could go all the way up I mean, technically the high one is the Roadster in Space tier, which will get you uh, the early access, the monthly bonus mini episode, the uh, weekly shout out here that I'm about to do for all those folks, the monthly group Google Hangout, and then a monthly solo one-on-one Hangout with me, should you elect to choose it. So there's just a range of different perks and support tiers if you would be so kind as to check that out at some point, maybe it's today, maybe it's tomorrow, maybe it's next payday, whatever works for you. I am just humbled and grateful for your support should you elect to give it. And with that, let me say hello to those Patreon backers. I'll start with the Plaid crew. Thank you so much to George Cassioppo, David Brander, Logan Willis, Jason Chalukas, Tim Hyde, Peter Chalet, Eric Randolph, David Nondahl, Joel Sapp, Dorian Steve Guberman, Jeremy, 
Tesla owners of Taiwan, Ron Lee, John Cody, Charlie Gillespie, David Perella, Sunil Joseph, Dennis Peake, Jeff Angwin, Chase Cabanillas, the Lydia family, Aaron Altshul, Jared Brown, Jerome Strack, Jamie Dalton, Noel and Lucy Murphy, the Tesla Owners Club of the East Bay, Paul Casarino, Ryan Natchett, Mike and Barbara from Louisville, David J. Howes, Travis Krenzel, Matt Nixon, the Tesla Owners Club of Wisconsin, Jonathan Zelezny, Joshua Walker, Rick Dean, and not Elon Musk. The Maximum Plaid crew, a big thanks goes out to Jonathan Wales, Cameron Clark, Daniel Grummer, Seth Capello, Nick and Tony, Tesla Hitchhiker 42, John Schmidt, Stan Roth, Howard Anthony Smith, Charles Galpin, Ryan from Las Vegas, Darren Nickel, Kaz Barnes, by, by the way, Ryan from Las Vegas, awesome news this week for, for Las Vegas residents, the Boring Company's Hyperloop, the, or, excuse me, not the, the tunnel, that is uh, go, getting expanded. It's going to go out to the Strip now. That is really cool stuff. Uh, good on Vegas for doubling down on a forward-thinking solution to transportation and traffic that works. Good stuff there. Uh, where'd I leave off here? Darren Nickel, Kaz Barnes, Ulrich Lassa, Brett Libano, Patrick Wisneski, Gil Cabrera, Hay Watley, Eric Brown, Mark Eversole, Todd Badger, Joe Edgel, Kevin Yank, the Tesla Owners Club of San Joaquin Valley, Michael Williams, Will Stedman, Mait Suaru, Derek Nesselrote, Justin Perez, Jeremy Harris, Chris Beach, Tom Mills, Alex Brem, Zachary Howard, Tyler Smith, Corey O'Donnell, Matthew Graham Droneberger, Scott Gillis, and Aaron Huxley. Finally, thank you so much to the aforementioned Roadster in Space tier backers, the highest of the high here, hence the in space name. Thank you very much, sincerely, to Pete White, Lyle Austin, Steve Radspinner, Fernando Cordero, Lawton from Chicago, Sean Neidig, Scooter Ward, Neil Weaver, Jackson Wallace, Crafty Geek, Richard Stokes, and Rolf and Jennifer Evers. Thank you all very much. For a, where's that sleeping boxer? I don't know where she is. She's, she's snoozing somewhere, though. But in any case, that'll wrap it up for Daisy the Boxer. I'm Ryan McCaffrey. This was Ride the Lightning episode 325. It was a fun one. The earnings call shows are always fun. Maybe, you know, with no disrespect to the rest of the Tesla executive team, maybe not quite as fun without Elon. I wonder, we'll see. We'll see if this sticks, if he's not going to be around for any of these going forward or what. But in any case, hopefully we get to hear from Elon soon in some way, shape or form. Until then, I'll, of course, be with you each and every Sunday, 6 a.m. Pacific, 9 a.m. Eastern. And with that, I say happy electric motoring, and I'll see you all next week. I mean, I think a Tesla is the most fun thing you could possibly buy ever. That's what it's meant to be. Our goal is to make, it's, it's not exactly a car. It's actually a thing to maximize enjoyment. It's maximum fun.